Alright, everyone, welcome once again. We have been waiting to start off with a new episode in Naya Pakistan, and this is that episode. So, how are you, Musharraf? Alhamdulillah, I'm delighted to be uh, reporting live from the capital of Naya Pakistan. Gloria Jean's coffee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's been an interesting uh, what is it now three weeks since the uh, oath taking and the and the process yeah. of governance uh, having begun yes multiple been... cabinet meetings provincial governments in all four provinces yeah installed uh, things and, and are... there's always something to talk about it's like uh, yeah but there was all I mean look there was always something to talk about before as well you know. Yeah, I, I just think that <laughs> this particular round is really new. There are new things to talk about. <laughs> Do you think... Uh, I, it's, it's been fascinating, right? Like, I think... Let's start with the good stuff. Because yeah. I think there's lots of other stuff. Yeah. But let's start with the good stuff. That speech by the Prime Minister. Yes. Have you heard a better speech by a Pakistani Prime Minister? So, uh, frankly, I can't recall. It was a good speech. Um, you can't recall his speech or you can't recall better speeches? No, I can't recall better speeches yeah. because I've usually not given... How do you think Jialas would feel about uh, what, what we're saying right now? Well, I mean, actually, because at the same time in tandem, um, Bilal also gave a great speech. And one of the things is that... Well, no, no, no. See, that's that's interesting. No, yeah. Bilal gave a great speech in Parliament. Yes. Prime Minister's Parliament speech was not a great speech. It was a throwback to uh, what I call containerism. Yeah, yeah. I it mean, was it was that. not. It was not a graceful yeah. or gracious yeah. moment. So, 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 so actually, that's true. I, in a way, like the kind of speeches that come forward on Khabar Nama, uh, PTV. Uh, so it was good on that front. Okay. And I, I, I thank you. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. 986 um, so uh, anyhow so we just had to do that we got the coffees in the capital so uh, so yeah so I think definitely on that front it was good it was um, you know what people have been saying is that it seemed like it was heartfelt and it was something that was there it was there for the long run um, something that you know Imran's believed and he's been talking about for a considerable amount of time and I think the key thing okay so when I was looking at that speech what was I really looking for and it's basically one of the lessons of the 90s which is that do you come in and say I'm going to get the previous lot and what we've discovered when that happens is it's not against accountability but it's a certain kind of drive where you're pushing for what is almost indistinguishable from retribution that creates instability. And I think that he didn't actually harp on on that in that manner. Was so we're talking about the first address of the Prime Minister to the nation? Yeah. Sunday night, two weeks ago? Yeah. Okay. So, I, so, so yeah, so I do think that was good stuff. What did you like about the speech? The same. I, I think it was more in terms of Rather than what he was saying, it was more in terms of that it sounded heartfelt. So when you're looking at that particular format, the PTV speak to the screen, talking head 
it's never really been strong. It's never really been something that's emotional. It's been very staid, lackadaisically, generally delivered. And I think in this particular case, what differentiated was a feeling that, wait, this sounds heartfelt. So I, I have a real problem with this idea that sounding heartfelt should be treated with kid gloves. Shahid Masood sounds heartfelt more so than you and I when yeah. we're on TV. Yeah. Really. He, he, yeah, he, yeah, he's absolutely. more believable. Yeah. He seems like he cares about people more than you and I do. Um, uh, Maybe he does. Who knows? Right? <laughs> uh, I yeah. guess, yeah. yeah. That's entirely possible, and yeah. I think it's a fair thing for you to say. Yeah. Mubashir Lukman is yeah. more heartfelt than you and I are. Yeah. Dr. Danish is more heartfelt. Yeah. Sabir Shakir is more heartfelt. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people, uh, any of the various Bhattis, Arif Amit Bhatti, Rishad Bhatti, any, you yeah. know, they're all heartfelt. So, I mean, the point is, being heartfelt or sounding heartfelt, I think is a valuable instrument in public speaking and yeah. in performance. But being heartfelt is not really what I'm looking for when I judge public policy. Yeah. But I loved the speech. Yeah. I thought it was a magnificent public policy manifesto. Mm. At least a third of it yeah. constantly alluded to the human potential in Pakistani children. Yeah. How? He talked about maternal and neonatal health, maternal child and infant mortality. He talked about nutrition and the effects of nutrition. He, ta- he explained the term stunting. I, I, I honestly, there would be very few governments anywhere in the world that have been led by a person who has explained stunting to his nation in his first address. He referenced out-of-school children not once, not twice, but four times in that speech. Four times. Um, luckily, I don't have to do a disclaimer because there is no more Alif Alan. So, so I really, I mean, I actually do care about yeah. education. And so I mentioned this. And he cares about it, which is much more important than some goofy dude, you know, sitting and making a podcast. When prime ministers lay out a change agenda that highlights children, I'm telling you, he spent a third of the speech talking about real human issues in a manner that, frankly, you and I have spent our entire careers yearning for this country's leaders to do. And he's done it. So, I mean, I was, uh, I was blown away by that speech, but not because it was heartfelt, because the content to me was it's the best content I've heard. And the, I guess to the extent that it was extempore, he, he, he had notes, but he, he didn't, there was no, uh, what do they call those? Teleprompter. Teleprompter. He yeah. wasn't reading off a teleprompter. Yeah. He wasn't worried about his body language. I mean, because those are things that I think Fugazi sort of public speakers need to deal with. Yeah. I think for him, uh, you know, all of this is quite natural and organic. And I think that's the other thing I really liked about it. So I guess that's where I would concede heartfelt being a factor. But I would use the term organic for it, right? That, yeah. that it wasn't a synthesized product of, of polling. There was no political consultant uh, or pollster that had run the numbers on how he was going to look or seem when he gave that speech. So I guess I, I, guess I could cut you some slack on the, on the heartfelt part from that perspective. 
Yeah, so anyhow, I, I think my... I love how you just ignore the fact that I was a total a-hole to you then. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I, I just think that... So I'm also looking for a, a sort of recognition that I have a, a very strong skepticism. And that skepticism has to do with the PTI's performance over the past five years, whether it was... No, hold on, we're not going... No, hold no, on. No, we I, can't jump to the negative because we're making a list of the stuff we've liked and then we'll get to the... I point. agree, I agree. But that's my point. Is like, you know, the points that you're highlighting is one of the reasons I'm not really raising them is because I have a skepticism towards how he's going to do any of these. And, um, and based on that, but what I did recognize was that the emotion is one of the harder things that you can't... You, you know, can't fake. You can't fake or you can't knock down. Of course, it can be faked. Some people are great at it. But there is this element of Imran Khan where you can tell, okay, this is that side of him that he really believes in this. So when it, whether it's talking about Shokat Khanum or XYZ or certain pet, you know, projects of his and things of interest. So there's that. I think um, we're looking at what's, when, what's gone right so far. Um, let's see, what else is there? Um, just this announcement of reform committees, things that are going to look into how things will change. I think that's an interesting way to start it off. I also think that... You wait, know, are we on the... You're criticizing or praising? No, no, I'm praising right now. You're, these, wait, these, you're praising the setting up of committees? Yeah. Wait, wait hold on. I just want to get something... Yeah. Because, seriously, I'm not being... Yeah. I'm not being snarky, but yeah. I, I want to... Shabazz Sharif had like like 150 committees. Ishaq Dad had like 87. Yeah. The people that were on those committees are the people that are on these committees. Yes. What what's the what, where like what do you are you just playing? No, I'm I'm playing according to the rules of your game. I'm highlighting things that I like. <laughs> <laughs> So far. No, come on, no, because people are going to think we're being sarcastic. No, Seriously. we're not. Okay, okay. No. So let's okay, not be sarcastic okay, let's for a second. Say, let's yeah. just say you start off government, okay? Okay. And you're now going to make a number of initiatives. You're going to decide what to continue or what to keep from the old government. That's going to be part and parcel of how you set the agenda for the year that goes forward. That is in addition to whatever will be your landmark policy focus or interest. So while it may sound bad that, you know... I'm appreciating a committee which are legendary for being not very good or the fact that a lot of people are actually essentially being recirculated and repackaged as naya. But I am happy with the fact that it is not with an entirely, I go with my gut on this, but you know, that, oh, I think we need now 14 dams or not 16, let's do 32. So which committee told the Prime Minister that this Basha Dam yeah. needs to be funded through a crowdsourcing mechanism yeah. that is basically eerily reminiscent of how we went and raised money for Shaukat Khanum? Yeah, so, so I, I actually think that that is not a policy decision. That is not something that is even within the ambit of what the PTI wants to do. It is an effort to curry favor with the Supreme Court knowing very well that this is an institution that can inflict paralysis on any state, whether it is corrupt or honest. And I think that it is a move in that particular direction. I also think that there's a um, 
it hasn't been at the same level because it's only been three weeks, but there's already on the Pak Patan incident, um, there's, you know, NAB getting engaged, you've got Parvez Khata getting a reference, things like that. So I think that particular one, I, I don't think that falls within the ambit of policy, much more so in the ambit of the politics of institutions. Yeah, and as you know, for me, I don't separate policy and politics, and yeah. I don't separate messaging and communication from, from those things either, yeah. which complicates the analysis. I really am struggling, though, because we... I tried to establish some rules of the game for this conversation. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, uh, and, okay, you've I, already I, I, mentioned Pak Patan, you've already yeah. mentioned these committees. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing. Look, I, I'm I, wondering how long before we start talking about sort of, you know, London, Princeton, and Harvard. Yeah. But I mean, we'll probably get to that. I think, but I do think, let's say, in the rules that were established in the beginning, there is one thing even I buy into, right? Every government needs six months. And that means even experienced governments who are coming back, because what you're looking to do is actually letting them find their feet. And I think it's interesting that, you know, Imran Khan even called a bunch of anchors who've always been pretty much on his side. And what they were asking, he was asking is like, you know, this particular convention of giving space should be afforded to me. And I'll tell you one thing. Uh, I mean, he's right in so far as if today I say I need line lo losses in the electric grid effectively finished. What's wrong? Why is there this going on? There, no government will be able to do it in less than a year. So I think he's right. And, and it's, it's the fault of anchors and analysts that governments aren't able to do this stuff? No, it's not. I'm just saying it's right now from the position of Imran Khan. So I'm actually taking the position of defending him on this particular space is that if you're going to say... By then, Imran Khan doesn't know his own positions on many issues. <laughs> How are you going to adopt this? Okay, I, I can see that. But I'm just saying it's like I do buy into this argument that you need to give a government six months. That being said, what I find interesting is that the heat on the government has nothing to do relative to their performance in being able to fix any of their our long-standing issues, which nonetheless cannot be fixed in two to three weeks, but they have more to do with the conduct of this government. That, however, does not require a six-month kid-glove treatment. So if you've got somebody like Fayazul Hassan Chohan, which you've chosen very deliberately to have, let's say, a hardline communicative stance where you actually see maybe the press or XYZ as enemies, when you see that reaction being engendered against him, asking for that to be an exception is not a legitimate argument. If, however, today so, we no, say, why isn't the example. police better? You've given me examples of where it is. So, I, I, for me, uh, I mean... Fayazul Hassan Chohan is a perfectly defensible choice from the perspective of the PTI, exactly because of what you said. Yeah. If you see the press as a problem yeah. and you want to engage combatively, you want to have a guy who can scare at least at least some people. Yeah. And so you bring in this guy. Then when he makes a mistake, you send him an SMS or a WhatsApp and ask him to apologize. You expect there'll be five or ten hiccups. Yeah, And after five or ten apologies, two things will happen. One, each of the next ten outrages will not elicit the same reaction because once an outrage, always an outrage. Yeah, You only need to... 
A virgin is only a virgin until the first time, and then, yeah. you know, he's not. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and you're right. They'll and, probably and, and write people, it out to that. Right. Yeah. And so they'll write it out. And I also think that actually, he, Fayazullah and Johan is a member of the party, is from Rawalpindi, does represent the constituency where Montaz Qadri is from, and so it makes eminent sense from a uh, electoral and street power politics perspective. If you want to demonstrate to Barelvi uh, revivalists the commitment of the party to supporting those that stand for that revivalism, that's a pretty good message, right? Yeah. To have him there. So I guess what I'm saying is I can totally understand Fayazul Hassan Johan's appointment. Yeah. What I have more trouble understanding is the expectation that the press will not stand up and defend somebody like Salim Safi yeah. in response to a campaign, a concerted campaign to target and demonize this man because Prime Minister Khan clearly has a problem with Safi and there's no doubt that Salim Safi has developed a problem with the Prime Minister. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm wondering is what is the degree of sort of soft hands or, or kid gloves that makes sense there. I mean, so for example, you and I, we did this interview with Salim, yeah. this, this podcast with him. I went back and listened to it. I actually really like what, what that conversation represents. Yeah. Um, and I really like Salim. Um, I think if I have some criticisms of him, I'll share them with him privately because right now he's under fire. Yeah. And as somebody who's part of a wider brotherhood of people that engage in the public domain, it's, you know... I mean, I mentioned all these other journalists with whom basically I don't often agree. Yeah. But even there, when I mention them, I mention them as people who evoke emotion. Yeah. Right? What I try not to do... and perfectly possible that I have but I really try hard not to attack people in this community and there's a reason for that you know who Mohammed Salahuddin is? Uh, no he was the editor of Takbir magazine Takbir magazine was a famous uh, religiously oriented right wing Jamaat Islami representing magazine in Karachi in the 80s and 90s and Salahuddin was the editor and Salahuddin was, uh, was, was killed hmm. and he's one of the names in journalism that actually often is not cited in the long list of people who are in the business of telling the story of Pakistan. You know, we started How to Pakistan you know, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Essentially, to offer a new medium in the English language in which people could engage with the story of this country. Yeah. It's a frustrating, beautiful, achingly painful, but heart explodingly joyful experience yeah. to be associated with the story and the people that tell the story are princes and angels Mubashir Luqman and Salim Safi now of course I like one and I maybe I, I'm not as fond of the other but you know the people that tell the story of a society and a people I do think they deserve a privileged space in our, in our discourse I do think they should be protected from attack because after attack Verbal, there's attack, bullet. Yeah. And, and we've seen that so many times. How many times do we need to mourn another dead journalist before we understand that the public demonization campaigns against individuals are actually dangerous things? The prime minister of a country can withstand it because he's in the business of politics. Yeah. 
but journalists are not politicians. Even when they criticize, even unfairly, other politicians, they are still journalists, and there's a big difference. And to me, I guess we're on the part of the conversation in which we're a little more critical. To me, I don't think that the grandness that is the Prime Minister and, and Prime Minister Imran Khan in particular should be engaged in sniping with journalists. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I, I actually think you also bring up another interesting point. And I, I and this may sound like a random example, but prior to Kandil Baloch's murder, I always told a certain group of friends of mine and all, I said, look, what you're doing. I said, I have no issues with you not liking her, not approving of her behavior. That's, you know, your prerogative. However... The particular way in which her whole, uh, you know, person is being criticized is going to lead to her death. And we've seen that. I've seen that. Um, there's another young boy from Swat. He puts up these videos. I, I also think that, you know, he's become the butt of jokes. He might also eventually, unfortunately, have some kind of incident or some kind of violence put upon him. I think it's true of journalists as well. We saw that in particular during the Dharna. That's not something that is outside the realm of possibility. So when this particular kind of campaigning goes, and I think it's particularly far more vicious when it comes in the case of women. I saw this tweet recently uh, by this uh, one guy, and it was a ridiculous tweet. It was alleging that you know a really high office holder in the land is Emedi and he got his own Emedi guy into the Economic Affairs um, Council. Council. Advisory Council. Yeah, Advisory yeah. Council. But then one of the first responses to it was a picture of, you know, what must have been his eight, ten year old daughter and saying that what you know, the guy is offering a hypothetical. Not everything is true. What if I say she is in this profession? and is ranked number one in that profession or something like that. And I was just like, wait, you know, I also agree what the guy did was absolutely wrong. Uh, but uh, doing it in this particular fashion, you know, there's got to be a limit set because it. what it does is it invites violence. I remember when there was, I, I, I don't think, you know, Salim Safi's the only case. There's... Um, you know, another journalist, you know, who's really involved in the Panama Papers. And whatever anyone, there may be very legitimate criticisms, but to sort of trend that, you know, she, he's got a, you know, ex-daughter who's God knows how old and, you know, whatever you attach to that. So, yeah, I agree with you. But it, but it, I think the point that I'd really like to make is now when you look at this whole thing around Pemra, when you look at, uh, you know, this desire to create this massive institution that will police how people have opinions in this country or for journalists, what worries me is when I don't see a committee that precedes it. And the only reason I'm not as disparaging is the way, you know, these committees signify uh, deliberation. These, signif uh, these uh, committees signify that this is much more than a gut reaction and that's something that I'm always on the lookout for 
And that's why, you know. Well, here's what I think about committees. Committees are formed by people in the profession of delaying decisions or not wanting an individual's name against a decision. A committee is an instrument of delay, confoundment, and maintaining the status quo. So to me, the fact that there's a committee for something, yes, signifies an interest in preparation and research and, and, and deliberate and thoughtful exercises, but there's just as much risk of the reform agenda being essentially hijacked by a, an orthodoxy of, of committees. And we've had that for as long as, as long as I've been engaged in public policy, which is now going on two decades. So I, I, I mean, the thing that I think, uh, I'd say that... By the I, way, I, just full disclosure, yeah. I, I've been part of committees. Yeah. I mean, throughout my career, I've, I've, yeah. so, so I'm not speaking as an outside sort of critic. Yeah. I'm speaking as, as a self-critic. Yeah. I mean, this is... But, but there's also, there has to be this realization that the committee's ultimate performance or what kind of leeway it has depends ultimately on the competence of the minister involved. Using a committee as a brainstorming function or to de- generate policy alternatives, viewpoints, which ultimately lead to maybe a good minister making the right decision, one making the wrong decision. This sort of capture that we talk about happens in the case either when the minister is too closely aligned to the thinking of all the committee members or is so weak that he ultimately doesn't understand the ramifications of what's being proposed. So I'm just saying is like here at least it's beginning days and I'm hoping one of the things that does come with the advantage of the PTI is that ego is so substantially inflated that there will be a degree of whatever is chosen you'll have some ownership involved. I I do think that they'll have that. That being said, like, again, when I I hate to use the committee again and again as a stand-in for deliberation or thought as if it is some kind of platonic ideal, but like, when you look at this whole idea of changing the NFC award or the kinds of function the provinces have without evidence of a substantial analysis of what the federal government needs in terms of either procuring the right kinds of defense services or meeting our international fiscal uh, obligations. That again worries me, right? Is because when you decide and you hear a figure, the first question you want to have, because again, maybe it's unfair to go back to Johan, but Johan thinks actually that the sum of money that is stolen every year is one billion, no, sorry, one trillion dollars from Pakistan. So. This no, but the prime minister thinks that uh, there's 200 billion yeah. rupees outside dollars. Uh, yeah. The Supreme Court, yeah, 200 billion dollars. The Supreme Court thinks that Pakistanis own 150 billion dollars in property in Dubai. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, uh, how do I put this delicately? Well, I, let me just put it in a weird faith in the institution of the committee is that if it is composed correctly, at least someone might say, I mean, I, 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 do, I don't think right now that we've been that, we'll come to it later, we were kind of wowed by the Economic Advisory Council 
that of course has gone south for a host of different reasons but well let's the, let, are we getting on to we, that we, or like we'll how long are that. we going to keep delaying that that we we'll just get into it but i just wanted to say is the point being is like this exact same thing is this numbers effectively becoming the david blaine of numbers in pakistan okay now this is 1 trillion this is 700 billion dollars this is xyz like the sort of mental arithmetic that is being done one of the hopes is that if you have even a semblance of semi normal committee members at least to question the basis of the foundations of the kind of policy push you're looking for and again when we're talking about what we're looking for is like this your worry is is that we've potentially got a very high rate of churn or high rate of expense of our foreign currency in terms of our expenditure needs and then if one of the solutions in that basket is wait a second we might get this 200 billion dollars from this place then we're in for a lot of trouble and then why we hope is that at least that this sort of populist thinking that comes around to these numbers are challenged at least at a small level in an environment where it's a safe space for the ministers that okay at least this won't be leaked maybe somebody can school me on this <laughs> uh I think you know as you were speaking I was also thinking about the the risks of being too critical. Yeah. And at one part of my part of my thinking right now because is, I mean in many ways this podcast has also become for us and and, and I mean I'm grateful to everyone that that listens in whether you're listening for the first time or you know you've been listening regularly it really means a lot to us but I, if i if you don't mind me sharing a private reflection fussy sure that you know of both of ours yeah. that's why i'm asking permission yeah i mean this this podcast is also an opportunity for us to hear each other think if that makes any sense I mean, we yeah. we've talked about it offline yeah but fussy and i benefit tremendously from the process of the conversation which yeah. is why it was you know the name how to pakistan was again i really i think that we got really lucky with that name because yeah. it, it really did capture what we wanted to do and continues to capture it quite well the economic advisory council decision the formation of the council itself yeah uh reflected aspiration and an ambition for which i think we have to applaud the government and the prime minister in particular i think one of the names that's getting missed out and i think for good reason uh as in as in i think it's a good thing that he's being spared uh, a lot of this is asad umar so i think a lot of credit goes to asad mm. uh to to finance minister asad umar for the uh composition of the uh council the reason i hesitate giving him credit is that the way that it's played out since then I think it would be fair for people who don't know what's gone actually into what has happened over the last I guess 48 hours. Um but Atif Mia stepping down from the council, Asim Ajaz Khwaja's resignation on the basis of that stepping down and then Imran Rasool's resignation as well as uh public expression of deep concern and anguish by Dr. Abdul Saleri. Yeah. That's four members. 
And what's interesting is it's the four members who are actually new to this. Yeah. Everybody else has been part of this part of this under infrastructure the PMLN, PPP for, for yeah. decades. Yeah. I mean they 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 are they are part and parcel of the you know, it's really these four were the ones that were actually the new blood. Yeah. These four are the ones and Abed is still part of it and yeah. I, I mean in a private conversation I've actually I mean I think he should remain a part of it. Yeah. Because <laughs> Uh, these are the guys that have worked their entire careers on issues like climate change, yeah. poverty, social protection, cash-based incentives, grant instruments for people affected by floods, by earthquakes, by conflict. Uh, you know, you have to know a little bit about a little bit to actually have a real view on this. In particular, Asim Ajaz Khwaja, whom I've known for a long time through his work, and whose papers I read, yeah, religiously. Uh, his most recent, one of his most recent papers was uh, uh, was a uh, was a uh, a a study of the impact of small grants given to private and public schools in a village and a prairie urban area, right? And how the publication of school report cards, as in reports on how the school is doing outside the school transform the level of investment in education quality and learning outcomes in the whole area obviously it's 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 hardcore research that takes years for them to develop so i wouldn't be able to do justice to the paper but i mentioned that because when you have people like this advising on macroeconomic policy you basically divert the focus of economic policy away from serving state bank-led macro indicators to human development-led micro indicators. So, so the reason why people like you and I were excited about the Advisory Council and its constitution was not the religious affiliation or the fact that these guys are abroad, although that does indicate a level of competence and, 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 and frankly, brilliance yeah. as far as uh, Imran and uh, uh, Asim and, and in particular Atif are concerned. So, I guess, having had a chance to, and I really tried hard yesterday on social media as well, to really not be reactive. Uh, people's religion has nothing to do with the quality of analysis that they bring. I, I think people's religion does have a bit to do with how they relate to the world, and, and maybe a lot to do with it. So, for example, you know, somebody asked me about energy and, and how I'm able to maybe be very energetic professionally and, and privately. And I would say, and I, I, I try not to, like I don't think there's anything to boast about this, which is why I don't talk about it a lot, but I also think it's nothing to hide. And so at a moment like this, I think it makes sense. I mean, it's informed by my faith. Uh, my faith in God and his dominion over everything and in the prophet as the illuminant of the entire universe for all time through the mercy of God means that though the example of the Prophet the Siratun Nabi is a driver for behavior professional and personal and I fall short on every account but my my inspiration and what I'd like to be judged on in the hereafter I want to be able to have a conversation with religious and spiritual elders in the hereafter in which I can give a good account of myself based on how I related to the world in terms of mercy and in terms of generosity and kindness and 
and the things that, you know, the one love sort of, you know, concept that I think you don't even have to be an orthodox sort of Muslim to believe in, right? And so, so to that extent, if somebody's faith gets in the way of that, which manifestly does not in, in Atif's case or in anybody else's case that's on the list, then maybe it's a consideration, maybe, on the outside. And you would really need to do, like, a lot of research to actually make that conclusion. Um, but to me, that's not really the criticism. My criticism isn't to do with the, with the discrimination aspect of this. It's the opportunity that Pakistan has been robbed of because there was a lack of preparation that informed the constitution and the announcement and then the reaction to the reaction to the announcement. All of this was ill-prepared, ill-thought-through. Faisal Javid Khan is putting out a tweet to inform yeah. the nation. Uh, is this how... Is this how... The, this is a violation of the Prime Minister's own promise. That's my problem with it, is that I was excited after that speech. And I'm still, by the way, excited, which is why I'm not sort of gloves off. Let's go. There's a lot of friends. I think there's also an element of bias. A lot of us have heard a lot of nonsense about our personal lives from Insafi fans who think that calling me names actually matters or makes a difference or calling you names or calling Gul Bukhari names. Fine. Somebody's biased. They're biased being where it is. People actually, even when they express biases, are basing those biases on, on facts. And so we have to examine those facts. And the point is, the Prime Minister excited not just all Pakistanis. Every foreigner I spoke to was excited about that speech. Because if that's the agenda for Pakistan, what insane, insane fool would stand against what the Prime Minister wants to do? And the best way of fulfilling that was this EAC. It was a brilliant... I mean, the one thing that was missing in it immediately when I saw it is, why aren't, why aren't there any women on it? Hmm. You know? And I thought Aisha Ghaspasha, but then I thought, okay, she was Shabash, uh, yeah. you know, finance minister. Then I thought Sanya Nishtar would make a brilliant member. Yeah. And luckily she's on another committee. I remember but- once, actually, it was very interesting when somebody told me that the basket of goods that is used to create the consumer index, and when they did a review for it, they found out that it had literally no women-specific products. So yeah. what we were capturing is inflation was devoid of what women needed every month right so that and, and in case young products, listeners are yeah. exactly I was about to say yeah. I mean we, we should also I think one thing we need to start doing in the public discourse is actually explaining stuff yeah. I think we take a lot for granted what, what are we talking about women's products we're talking about personal hygiene yeah, we're, we're talking, talking about, about sanitary napkins exactly we're talking about your time of month where you know frankly the use of certain bathroom products is going to actually increase yeah. especially in lower income households yeah. you don't have the, the quality towels and the, I mean there's a yeah. whole range of sort of products that are associated with and so, so, a consideration so, and one of the interesting why you know a lot of people say why have women on this uh, EAC so one of the questions is that if you are calculating inflation without taking into account these products, what you're essentially doing is you're capturing an inflation which is either underinflated, but one which also does not take into account the needs of half the population. And an interesting thing for this is also is that if these had, I, I believe they are now incorporated to some degree, but if they had been incorporated properly, they also then inform policy because the moment the government sees an end of year, seven to eight percent inflation figure and then they realizes that you know they do stuff about sugar they do stuff about wheat then they'll also do stuff about these particular products which also matter because they are a basket of goods that form 
what we'd call as an essential commodity, not in the kind that we'd automatically think of in terms of, oh, itni chini no, but we're actually looking at what is the fundamental requirement of what is now a normal household. Um, and so I agree with what you're saying. I also think one of the things that I, I thought was like when I saw Fuad's defense of Atif Mia's, I, I hadn't Were you seen, inspired? I hadn't seen anything like it, right? I was like, this is phenomenal. Um, I, I, I was one of the guys who didn't praise the formation of the committee. And I, I, I did think it was good. However, I realized that this is immediately going to get attention. I mean, you, you're primed in Pakistan after 10 years. You know what is going to stoke something. And it's interesting that some people, like for example, they blamed Imran Nasir. Why did you praise the formation of this committee? Effectively, everyone found out about this guy's faith because of that. That is the biggest cop-out I've seen. You do not blame it on Gibran Nasser or XYZ who might have been excited that you've got an inclusionary attitude towards what is fundamentally uh, something really essential for Pakistan. But but, but can I say... I just want to add one yeah. thing. The point I'm trying to make is it comes back to basically what you were also saying. Is my question after all of this is did you want to make a point or was it a meritocratic thing? There was inevitable blowback coming down it seemed you were entirely unprepared. One guy put his neck out for it, thinking that maybe this is now the policy, and then you beat a retreat, which has effectively made you look really weak. Because Khadim boys, you know, they've just brought Holland to their knees, they brought the PMLN to their knees, they now know for a fact that the PTI cannot stand up to them. Their demand is not going to stop, because there is a worrying trend where you know, the 84-74 is no longer enough. They're now going towards another argument entirely that, you know, it's no longer enough that they are cordoned off as non-Muslims and that's it, or that you can no longer practice your religion. They're effectively going to criminalize it. If they are given a choice, they're effectively going to have to, you know, do a life or death uh, statement for either renunciation or whatever. I know it sounds ridiculous today, but 10, 20 years, I don't know. I think that's where it's going because it's become, Ahmadis have become a mass anxiety for Pakistan in some ways. There's a certain group and there's, uh, you see it now in the middle and upper classes where they're not advocates of, you know, very strong invective or hatred, but they are subscribers to elements which ostracize them. Now, the point being is, my only thing is like, I actually have a different theory altogether. I think they maybe just, cons- now I just think is like this utter lack of preparation on such a sensitive issue. I'm just wondering is like they were forming the committee and they entirely forgot, came out. Because some of the lack of preparation, I don't know if there was a committee to form the committee. I, so I, it might sound ridiculous. I have zero evidence about this, by the way. Well, so, so I'm just I, trying to explain it in my head. Yeah, well, how did I mean, this come about? Yeah, well, we could go around in circles on that front and never, never come out with anything satisfactory. But I'll tell you one thing that is without question: these people were not prepared to win the election. They were not prepared to run this country. The reason why you've seen 
And I think one of the ways in which I'm going to judge these ministers is total net time on social media and the media in the last two weeks. Here's what I like about Asad Umar. You saw him make one gaffe before the election and one gaffe after the election. And you haven't seen him in the press since. Hmm. Why? Because Asad Umar is a learning mechanism. Asad Umar is basically busy doing his job. He's learning about the economy and he's deliberating on what needs to be done vis-a-vis the fiscal debt. Shirin Mazari explicitly tweeted the other day, being in government is different than being in the opposition. I'm going to have to learn how to shut it down. I have so much respect for that woman because this was the only fear. Nobody doubts Shirin's intellect. But a lot of us doubt her ability to shut it down because she's in a position of authority. I, was actually, I think she's a moral force and I think she's going to do great work in the human rights ministry. Having said those two things, I'm shocked at the lack of preparation by the prime minister and the lack of preparation around him and the lack of care being given to managing his time and his interface with the public. I'll actually tell you another thing. I actually think that that is something that's becoming evident. So whether it was the Guard of Honor at GHQ, whether it was when it was meeting with uh, Pompeo, whether it was, you know, that speech that you liked, right? Um, there, uh, sorry, I meant the oath, the oath-taking ceremony. These are small things, these are quibbles, but when you're seeing a pattern that's going on for three weeks, then they tend to assume a slight importance that this is actually suggesting that there's a lack of preparation, not just when you were in the election phase and you were becoming, uh, you know, contender to the throne. But also now that you've got it, there's a daily process of which you do. I do want to add one thing. I spoke to some friends of mine about this. And I also have this thing about Shirin Mazari, where for the past two, three years, I have not liked a lot of Shirin Mazari's views. In fact, during her time as editor of The Nation, I thought she was exceedingly irresponsible and she was... Uh, when we talk about populism, we talk about diet thinking. At that time, she was on a keto diet entirely. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I, I agree but, with you. I even wrote yeah. a piece on on the Rosenberg story. Exactly. I mean, right? I, I, I thought I, I was I was shocked. It was irresponsible. But three years, I've noticed on a number of issues where you think, okay, wait, this doesn't sit well with her constituency. This doesn't sit well with her institutional constituencies. But she has, uh, you know, risen to the occasion. So I actually, I'm, I'm with you on this. I have a degree of faith in her that she'll do a much better job than has been done I'll before. tell you one thing. If she starts to believe something, that's going to either end with that problem being solved yeah. or her not being a minister anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and, I buy and, I, that. and I wouldn't say that about a lot of people in this cabinet, man, because yeah. the, most of the rest of the cabinet is a... Anyway, I, I think, you know, enough has been said, but... Uh, um. I have another question in my mind also. There's this one thing that I sometimes get. So we, we know that we've got an epidemic of whataboutry, and sometimes when, you know, in the past when I've... Is it just us or is it global? I, I, so I, I follow the Marega, whole... No, no, uh, I, I do follow the US a bit. Oh, well, Democrats or Republicans may yay each other at Okay. Right? So it is global. It is global. I, I do think that, however, 
there is a class <laughs> component globally we are more egalitarian upper strata who have privilege on maybe ye masla hai like sometimes in the past when I used to criticize the PTI, ek hi sawal aa jata tha. What about this when PMLN did or whatever? But they're one still doing it. They're still doing it. And one thing I do concede, and it comes back to something you said earlier, which I want to make a point about, is that they'd say like you have a different set of rules for the PMLN, the MQM, the ANP compared to the PTI. And I have to say they were right at one level. And that was because what do you do when you learn about political figures? You start to have an internal mechanism where you apply a discount rate. I know when Nawaz Sharif says XYZ, this is 20% is 80% of traditional consumption for people. Now when you watch Fayazul Hassan Chauhan, they're saying like, why are you being so hard on us? I also think that in one, two years, the, the problem the, PM, the PTI has not prepared for is it's going to take one, two years before our discount rate sets in. That, oh, we've been used to it. And, but for those two years, you have to go back to one of the things that I loved about Condoleezza Rice, which she had in her book, which explained what it means to be a black person in you know a white state is that just to be treated equally you have to be twice as good and when you come in one of the reasons like it's interesting why the communists in France or elsewhere sometimes are not eager to get in state is partly because of that is the advantage of being in perpetual opposition is that you are not put to the test of your own standards and in the three weeks that we've seen, that's all that's happened, essentially. One is I think that there's been a real... I mean, I, I think there's been more unforced errors. Like, literally unforced errors. There are issues and controversies. For example, I mean, just this whole thing about protocol, it's ridiculous. Imran needs protection. Our ministers need... We had a Shuja Shandada. We had multiple other cases. We've had Salman Tasir, XYZ. But... If you're going to continue... If the Khar Hussain's son was killed. Exactly. Shuja uh, Khanzada was killed. Uh, below or both, right? Salman Tasir was killed. Right. Uh, uh, below but, was killed. Yeah. But, the, but the point is, who is responsible for the discourse right now? The discourse is, is your insistence that we're still going to do it. We're still going to hold the state or ourselves to an unreasonable standard. But we'd like you not to point it out when we don't meet it. But the problem is you're going to consistently not meet it. And there's a solution to this. So when I talked about one thing that Imran does have is that when he does seem to speak from the heart, you give him much more space than you would anybody else. Why? It has to do with the cancer hospital. It has to do with charitable contribution. It has to do with the hero status of the World Cup and cricket. But, uh, and, and of course, the perception that he hasn't benefited personally, even if he has a party that he's not able to stop from profiting. Um, but the point being is that if you're not willing to explain that, oh, we said this, we thought this, we're in government, like that tweet, you know, where, because Shirin uh, Mazari also suffers from that. There is a tweet for every occasion. 
now you know when they supported for example Tahirul Qadri but before that she was deeply against him to a really high degree where it was persistent consistent so you have to come across and you say okay you know what rather than lumping it in by insisting that you're different and it's not how people are observing you're going to say you know we were wrong but we're going to lead it this way and within these constraints now this is the best we'll do but the fact that they're not choosing to do that is going to give you more of three weeks of the same that we've just had I mean it's interesting I wonder if this whole there's a tweet for every occasion I'm sure you've had prior tweets of yours quoted to you Absolutely, and we don't. We and we're change not our in, minds. Yeah, yeah, and, and no, no. It's not only that. Sometimes we're just plain wrong. Yeah. So sometimes you make a statement about something in the in the heat of the moment, or based on the available evidence, or because you feel a certain way, or because you know you had a headache and you weren't thinking straight. That it actually is not consistent with the core of your beliefs mm. or with what you believe today. Yeah. So if we can cut ourselves that slack, I don't have any problem cutting anyone else that slack. To me, the issue is not what they said before and what they say now. I, I really think that. No, there's a difference. What you're saying is that if you're not going to allow anybody to grow, I agree that's a bad thing. But if the person in front of you is still insisting on the same and not doing what he's saying, and that, this is the that's preparation a hard part. thing. That's no, a no, hard this thing. is and this is the preparation that you can't part. ignore. I, yeah. I cannot believe that the PTI, from the moment that they knew that they were going to be in government, which was essentially. If I give everybody a lot of credit, like midday, last year, June. midday, no, <laughs> no, no. Let's be fair. Midday on the twenty seventh of July, it was established that the PTI is going to form government at le- in at least two provinces yeah. and the federal government. Yes or no? Yeah. Okay. Twenty seventh of July, twenty seventh of August, and now it's the middle of September. Yeah. Early part. Let's be fair. It's the early part of September. In this last month and a half that's six weeks yeah is it unrealistic or unfair for us to expect forget about the preparation over the last 10 years or 22 years yeah the, the long 22 year struggle of you know the Zaman Park sort of you know stud muffin yeah which is by the way what he is I, I don't use that pejoratively yeah. I'm also amazed at, the, at this party yeah this whole austerity and protocol thing yeah you have a Zaman Park titanium level yeah. stud muffin yeah. and you want to wrap him in, in Gandhi clothes yeah. and keep him at home yeah. it's the most fascinating this is the one great hydrogen bomb of charm that this country can export to the United General Nations United Nations uh, <laughs> United Nations General Assembly yeah. right? and you're going to keep him at home you're going to start imposing austerity on the one thing that Pakistan can actually use to show off to the world. Yeah. I and mean, this is better than Justin Trudeau. He's by far better looking at like half the age. He's a machine. Yeah. Why why would you wrap him up in a in a in a virtual austerity burqa and keep him keep him tied down here in Islamabad to make gaff after gaff when when you're going to make those gaffs anyway? And in the meantime, he could be actually out selling Pakistan as an investment destination, as a country with an army that is second to none. That's one, the only war. No, no, that but you're presuming that the gaps are only a domestic affliction. 
Oh, so you think yeah. he's going to go out and make these gaffes abroad? If you're not going to get it right inside of Pakistan, it's going to be hard to get it right outside of Pakistan. And you really think that with... No, I'll tell you why. Because it's much more difficult. It's got like, there are like a hundred little norms of democracy. There are, uh, sorry, diplomacy. There are a hundred different little things. Then you have to deal with essentially what is multilaterals. You have to deal with multiple institutions who have very different rules. And then you have to deal with neighborhood states, X, Y, Z. I'm just saying, in one way, I actually appreciate the fact that he's holding off a bit. First, to get a grip here, I, I have to add one more thing. And one thing that I think that the PTI really has to think about. It's interesting, sometimes you hear about this expansive policy agenda, and then you realize that the comfortable majority is a very slim four to eight, whatever votes it may be. And given how Pervez Hadak really blackballed him, uh, blackmailed him recently, you can imagine that under the Atif Nia case also, like where you guys have like really hardliners like Mohammed uh, Ali, uh, Ali Mohammed, Ali Mohammed Khan, even maybe Fayaz Johan X Y Z. So the question really is, is that maybe there needs to be a recalibr- recalibration there as well? Is what can I conceivably do under a very limited majority that allows me space? Which, for example, again, when it comes to things like changing the NFC or it comes to maybe even a rollback of the 18th Amendment or things like that, in whatever form that may take, then you're going to have to start thinking about, okay, wait, what is within the ambit of what I can do? Because right now, right now, these errors that have happened in three weeks shouldn't have happened because he has zero opposition. The opposition is a headless chicken that is critically fighting with each other. Despite that... I'm assuming the headless is PMLN and the chicken is PPP. Exactly. <laughs> That's perfect. Right? So, But if you're going to think that you have a two-thirds majority and you're going to speak about it that way, about policy ideas that cannot go through, then you're going to have a united opposition. Because right now you need to give them just cause. Right now, they're just settling old scores. And those old scores are not with Imran. It's with each other. But, you know, that could change. And so I'm just also wondering, is like... How long before the opposition gets its act together and yeah. then these unforced errors... Are forced become, errors. No, no, unforced yeah. errors become like, become crises, full-blown crises. Very true, yeah. So I think they're going to get away with the whole lot of Mia and the EAC. So do I. I think they've gotten away with the protocol thing, as they should. It's yeah. one statement, 55 yeah. rupees a helicopter ride. Give them, make it 55,000. I, I could care less. I want my, I'm, I, I belong to a nuclear weapon country with yeah. 220 million people. I want my prime minister traveling in style. I want, I want there to be helicopters. And by the way, I'm a, I'm a registered taxpayer. I file my taxes. So I have no... I'll tell you one thing about helicopters. But I also want They're a the bigger They're the most fist. unsafe. They're very unsafe. Uh, I'm telling you, I also want a bigger BISP. I don't want a shrinking of the BISP. I want more money for education, more money for health, more money for defense, more money for the prime minister, more money for the provinces, more money in the NFC for the provinces, much more money for FATA much more money for Balochistan, more money for highways, more money for roads, for orange, blue, yellow, pink, brown, gray trains all over you the country. Are I want a all of it. Selfish man, all I want is for Guns N' Roses to cut another album. 
so right. There's a, there's a <laughs> I think they're yeah. old and, 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 and I think you need to get with the times. There's yeah. a band called Arcade Fire. I love Arcade Fire. And uh, they should make a new album. Yeah. And uh, Coldplay should uh, maybe, you know, also make another set of the same songs they've been making for the last 15, 20 years. Yeah. And, uh, and Janoon should not do a revival uh, tour. Um, you don't need to songs. see that. Yeah. Really? I you mean, want Janoon making new... I mean, I don't mind hearing Ali Azmat sing again. I love Ali Azmat. But that... But, but those... Uh, he those, doesn't need to be in Janoon. Those Dasar Khans being worn over people's shoulders. Yeah. The, the, what, you know, what did Sindh ever do to anybody else <laughs> to, to deserve this treatment? <laughs> We've got ambient uh, sound uh, in the F11 Markas. Uh, we're sitting at the, pre- what is it, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf Company. Yeah. Uh, we've enjoyed great coffee for which, uh, if, you, if you heard the podcast from the beginning, you would have heard exactly how much it cost. That's on us, yeah. not on our amazing listeners. Yeah. Fussy, final thoughts. I just think this band isn't doing it badly. I think they're doing a pretty good job. I think they better they're stop because it's, it's Maghrib time. Yeah. They better stop soon. Yeah. So with prayers and duas for all our listeners and for our country. I just have to add one for, last and, and for our government and our prime minister. I just have to say, I love one thing that no matter what happens is that Pakistan can always find ways to enjoy itself. Our online humor, all that is sometimes it's obnoxious but mostly it's really creative and I just saw this one guy hold up a sign and he said we don't need Atif Mia we need more Mia Khalifa (laughs) (laughs) so anyhow so I hope you guys enjoy we'll be back soon and uh, let's hope everything turns out well and uh, we've got reason to celebrate soon uh, thanks uh, for listening, everyone. Signing out with lots of prayers and du'as. Khuda Hafiz. Take care of yourselves. <laughs>